the program is? Not many. That's about six of you. Okay. Now, when I started West County Community Church, got together with a small core of leaders, I said, we are going to participate in the cooperative program. And so to participate in the cooperative program, we're going to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I said, I want you to know you will never, and what's the meaning of never? Never. That's why you should be careful when you use the word never or always, right? If you're married, those are two dangerous words. Don't say you never take the garbage out. You never put your shoes up. That's, those are fighting words. But never means never. And you can always think of one time you put your shoes up or, or you took the garbage out. But never means never. And I said to our elders in the beginning, you will never hear me teach on how to be a Baptist. Because the Bible does not teach about how to be a Baptist. It teaches about how to know Christ and then what that means, how to live the Spirit-filled life. And that's why you guys hear that all the time. However, to be a part of the cooperative program, and look at that sheet I'm going to read right now. See, in our mission budgeting, we budget $90,540 this year to go to the cooperative program. Well, what is the cooperative program? Read with me. In 1925, the Southern Baptist Convention started the cooperative program encouraging its churches to give to a fund for a common goal of sharing the gospel with every person on the planet. West County Community Church is a part of a fellowship of over 16 million members in approximately 45,000 churches in all 50 states in its territories, Canada, and the Caribbean. These churches work together through approximately 1,175 associations, 42 state conventions, and the Southern Baptist Convention to accomplish through voluntary cooperation far more than they could ever do along. And I just wish every group of churches had a cooperative program. See, through the cooperative program, we are the third largest disaster relief organization in the world. Now listen to me, church family. Every time we have a disaster in our land or the world, three or four of you call me up and say, Pastor, we got to do something. And my response to you, if you call up, is I do something every Sunday when I give my tithes and first fruits. Did you know that every Sunday as we are giving, as 45,000 churches are giving, in some ways we're the second largest because the Red Cross, which is the second, we got the federal government, then we got the Red Cross, but the Red Cross, because we have such a machinery, we prepare 80%. I didn't know this till I've been doing my due diligence. We prepare 80% of all the meals for the Red Cross. And so the way you participate in disaster relief is you give your first fruits every Sunday. And we're storing up millions, tens of millions of dollars every Sunday. See, read on there. Through the cooperative program, we make a mighty difference in these 26,525 lives that make a difference in millions of lives. 5,444 international missionaries ministering to over 1,100 different people groups around the world. 5,081 North American missionaries who started over 1,700 new churches last year and 16,000 future missionaries, pastors, and other church leaders being equipped presently as seminary students. Now you think about any cause, 
And if you're like me, you're a giver. And I've been a giver for over 40 years. So I'm on hundreds of networks. There's not a day that my telephone, we still have the home telephone that I've had for 22 years. And there's not a day that I don't receive three, four, five, six, seven. I'm not home a lot of the day, but just in the few hours I'm home during the day. It is common for us to get three or four or five, six calls saying, would you give? Because we give all the time. We give to the sheriffs, we give to the policemen, we give to the firemen, we give to the little girl running down the street, we give to the dogs, we give to the cats, we give. Every high school, college student that ever goes on a missionary trip. One kid even called me a few weeks ago, and she said, I came to West County about 15 years ago, and can you help me go on a missions trip? I didn't know her from Zubu, but she knew Pastor Phil. And I'm sending you a letter, can you give? Now that's a wonderful blessing. But let me tell you, of all the causes, and I'm 61, I know about a lot of causes, and I give to a lot of causes. There is no greater cause that I know about that you can give a dollar. And see, part of that dollar, seven cents out of every dollar you ever give to this budget goes to world missions. And that thrills my heart. Now give to all those other things God leads you to, but let me tell you, if you want to make an investment, you give to the cooperative program. Now read on there. See, this big picture is broken down into associations. Like we have a St. Louis association, and there's 129 churches in that association. And you can read what they do. Now down at the bottom, look at that. We also give to other mission causes. The least this church has ever given in its 19-year history in three or four months, is 15%. When we started West County Community Church, we had no budget. And even on Tuesday, before we even had our first Wednesday meeting to say, we're going to start a new church, West County Community Church, I had a friend that Judy Bowen had introduced me to at some student conferences, and his name was Gary Varner. Not Gary Varner. Gary, help me, Judy. Gary Beach, thank you. And this guy, I mean, his tank is full with Jesus. He loves Jesus. He loves people. And so we just really clicked. And he was a running back. He's about five foot seven. He can bench press over 400 pounds because he only has to move it two inches. And, and so we just hit it off. And, and we have fun. He, he doesn't know how to shoot a basketball, so he teaches me how to lift weights, and I teach him how to shoot a layup. But he's a guy that loves the Lord. And so he called me up right when we were starting the church, and he said, can I have lunch with you? I'm coming through St. Louis. He lived down in Springfield. And at that time, he was the FCA director for the state of Missouri. And I thought he was just coming to encourage me, and we sat down, and he said, now, Phil, this is what I want to ask you. Would you sponsor FCA $100 a month? Because if I can get you to do it, I can go to pastors everywhere and say, well, you know, Pastor Phil's doing this. Can you do it? He's just starting a new church. He doesn't even have a budget. I said, sure, we can do $100 a month. I can do $100 a month. So for all these 19 years, that's a parachurch ministry. And now we do it at FCA with Ricky Horton in St. Louis. And all those things that you look down there, those are all parachurch ministries that we give $231,800 to. And together... You put that together and you see that we give 23.4% 
of every dollar you give, almost a quarter of every dollar you give, it does not stay here. It goes to missions. Doesn't that thrill your heart? If you want to know one of the reasons why God's blessed this place, because there's some elders in the room, and they can tell you, and some of them hadn't been on the elder board, but I mean years ago, there were times when we didn't know how we were going to make it. I mean financially, because people didn't know the joy of giving. And we reach a lot of new people for Christ, and then we reach a lot of people that have been out of church for a while, and most of those folks don't know the joy of giving. They're getters. They come and they just expect the church to give, and they just somehow think there's trees in the backyard that we go get our money each Sunday and everything runs. Okay, we'll just keep listening, all right? Now, now. There were times when when we would be tempted to say, we got to cut our mission giving. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We wouldn't fall to circumstance. And we would say, no, we're going to continue to give to missions as strong as ever. And every time, God blesses. If you want to know why God blesses this place, one of the big reasons is we understand the principle, give and it shall be given unto you. And I want you to watch right now this little thing. You're going to have to get your eyes up here. This is fast speed. Watch this video on the cooperative program. There are more than 6 billion people in the world today. Although it's nearly impossible to calculate, we can estimate that fewer than 20% know Jesus as their Savior. As someone who knows Jesus, the staggering reality of the world's lostness reminds you of the importance of the Great Commission. But what can you, one person, do? Or what can your church, a single congregation, accomplish? The truth is, you can make a big difference through the cooperative program. CP is how Southern Baptists do missions, pooling the tithes and offerings from even the most humble incomes and the smallest churches to reach around the world for Christ. Through the cooperative program, disaster relief teams helped one couple in Colorado salvage and organize their remaining belongings after their home was destroyed by wildfires. CP Giving has also helped Africans share Bible stories in places where they've never been heard before, even at the risk of losing everything around them they've ever achieved. CP has helped provide missionary training to a former gang member in St. Louis whose life was changed because of the gospel being told by a church that CP Dollars helped to plant. Cooperative Giving has also helped a young pastor in Southwest Missouri feed children who sometimes go days without eating. In addition, CP has provided for the fatherless and the elderly. Here's how the cooperative program works. It starts with you giving yourself first to the Lord and then giving back to Him through your tithes and offerings. Your church sends a portion of those tithes and offerings to the Missouri Baptist Convention, which sends nearly 40% of its annual budget to the Southern Baptist Convention. The rest goes into children's homes, higher education, training and events, as well as many other missions and ministry here in the state of Missouri. Finally, the SBC supports missions and ministries in North America and around the world. From seminaries to religious liberty, to disaster and hunger relief, to keeping more than 10,000 missionaries on the field. 
Because you give, because your local church gives, and because we cooperate as Southern Baptists, together we are fulfilling the Great Commission. The Cooperative Program. It begins with you and reaches into eternity. Isn't that good? That's good. Now, often that's what I say to our men at the end of a men's Bible study. I say, good men, and they all respond back. That's good, Pastor. Well, I want you to know today, and at the close of service, some of you come up each Sunday, and I appreciate that. You say, Pastor, that was good. I want you to know it's better than good. And the reason why it's good because the Lord's good. But today I want you not to say to me that was good. I want you to say that was life-changing because it can be. Now I ask you the question before we went into that. I said, what is better than a wedding, no matter how great it is, than having a baby, no matter how beautiful that baby is? What's better than that? What's better than the most beautiful biblical wedding you've ever been at? or been a part of. It's living out the purpose of that wedding, right? What's better than having the most beautiful baby in the world? Seeing that baby grow up and, and live out the potential God gave that baby. And that's where we're going today. Look at the title of the message. It's entitled, Better Than a New Beginning. See, when you came to Christ, if you come to Christ, every promise, every command in God's Word is talking about what you had that new birth for to experience. But the truth is, most Christians never experience the fruitfulness and fulfillment of their new beginning. And the reason why is not because they don't want to. And the reason why is not because they're in a spiritual battle. And the reason why is not because they have a sinful nature. And the reason why is not there's a devil. And the reason why is not there's a fallen world. The reason why is they don't know how. And I told you, I want to preach this to a pastor's conference because in all of my years being able to work with thousands of pastors, I can tell you most pastors don't know how to live out what God started in their life. And that's our study today. That's why I want you to know this study today can be life-changing to you. If you are not experiencing the abundance of Jesus, by the way, when Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you what kind of life? Say it, abundant life. Paul describes abundant life with the word overflowing, with the word abounding, abounding in love, abounding in grace, abounding in thanksgiving, abounding in forgiveness, abounding in serving, abounding in bringing glory to the Lord. If you're not experiencing that today, I want you to know the devil lies to you and he wants to blame it on your circumstances. See, you will often hear preachers. I'm about to go to a preacher's conference, and I will hear preachers saying that have known me for 30 years. They'll come up and they'll say, Pastor, I'm just, starts with a B. You know it, burned out. It's because they have not learned yet the how-tos that I'm going to give you today. I promise you, if you believe the Bible, you never burn out because of circumstances. You burn out because you don't know how to appropriate the abundance of God in your life. Students, for all of you that are struggling with sin, 
You are struggling. You know, you love Jesus. You go to Zoe. You come here, but you go to school and you're around peer pressure and you're around drugs and you're around alcohol and you want to be accepted. Don't ever blame falling on your surroundings. It's not. You just don't know the how-tos yet. So are you all ready to receive? Do you all have an ink pen? After first service, I had a family that I've had the joy of leading everyone to Christ. Daddy, Mama, three teenagers, a child. And they were sitting on the first row in the front service. And man, the Mama was in it because they're not experiencing abundance in Christ. They love Jesus. They love me. They're like family to me. So I happened to run into them after the service. And the mama, man, she was taking notes like everything. But the teenager who's struggling a lot, he knows he's struggling. Mama knows he's struggling. I know he's struggling. But he knows I love him. He knows I have his backside. And I went up to him with his mom and I said, okay, what were the four how-tos? Guess what he made on the test? An F. If he couldn't even repeat it to me, he's sure not going to live it out. If you've never taken notes, sugars, take notes. Okay? And I want you to listen like you've never listened before. Because if you get this, you're learning how to do marriage. If you don't know these how-tos, your marriage will fail. If you don't know how these twos, you'll be unstable in all your ways. James 1.8 says, A man cannot expect anything from God if he's unstable in all his ways. And if you don't know these four how-tos and exercise them in your day, you'll be unstable in all your ways. Are you ready? All right, here we go. I want you to find three places in your Bible. First of all, Exodus 14. Now, that's the second book in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus. Put a piece of paper there. Exodus 14. Or put your ribbon in your Bible there. Put a card there. Because we're going to go quick, and I don't want you getting diverted from listening because you're turning to Scripture, because I want you to turn to these three places if you have your Bible. Don't just look at them on the screen. Then go to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is over about three-quarters of an inch. You go through Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, and you're in Jeremiah. Get to Jeremiah 7. Mark that. And then the place we'll land is Philippians 2. Get those three places. Once you have those three places, just write in Roman numeral 1. The Bible is a book of new beginnings. This year... I'm reading through the Bible, and I'm not only reading, I'm studying, I'm, I'm doing messages as God gives them to me, and uh, every month or so, just say, Pastor, are you still reading every day? Because to read through the Bible, I need to read three chapters, and, and that takes me about an hour, because like I say, I'm not just reading for speed, I'm reading, and I'm stopping, and I'm making notes, and uh, as I was reading I came to one of the Mount Everest new beginnings in all of the Old Testament. And it's Exodus 14, verses 30 to 15 too. Let's read about it. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Man, I thought for the life of me there were people in this room. I must be hallucinating. I said, let's read it, Right? You were just saying, you thought I said, I'll read it, right? Let's read it. We'll blame that on my accent, okay? I said, let's. That means let us. All right, let's try it again. Ready? Thus the Lord saved Israel.
See that last phrase? This is my God, I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Now, wasn't the music beautiful this morning? The words were inspired of God, and we praise God. You know, years ago, I worked with about 40 worship leaders. It's called Super Summer. And we had seven schools, and we would, these guys would come in, and they'd lead 100 to 200 kids all day in praise. And at night, they'd lead five to 800 kids. And I mean, it was a big band. It was powerful. And they would praise God, and they would exalt Him, and man, would they get high! But most of them were unstable in all their ways. And many of them today, that was 20 years ago, many of them today are no longer in ministry. See, here's the setting of this. Israel had been in bondage for how many years? Over 400. And God had called who at a burning bush to go to them? Yeah, track with me. And Moses went, and of course he was hung up on himself, and that's being unstable. If you're insecure and hung up on yourself, and you're always getting offended, it's because you don't know the how-tos yet, but praise the Lord, this is going to be the first day for the rest of our lives, and we're going to learn these how-tos. And we're going to say, God, now I get it. But God sends Moses. He does all of these miracles. Pharaoh's heart is hard, but finally, after the miracle of what? When the blood is put on the door frame post, Pharaoh says, get out of town. So God leads Moses to lead Israel, and he leads them right up to the what? The Red Sea. And Pharaoh decides, man, my slaves are getting away. Let's go get them. So here they come, and it's called between a rock and a hard place. The Red Sea's here. Pharaoh's chariots are there. God puts the pillar of the fire to stop them. The people are falling apart, but God again does another miracle, and He splits the Red Sea. The people go across. Then He lets the chariots come, and when the chariots are there, the Red Sea folds on them, and that's what we just read. Praise God. Look what He's done. I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Now let me ask you, how long did they praise God? Not very long. It says that God led Moses to lead them into the wilderness where they did not have water. Israel, if they were really exalting God, would have started laughing and saying, man, this is going to be a good one. We've seen God change the water to blood. We've seen Him change it back to water. We've seen Him split it. We've seen Him brought it back. Now He's taking us out in the wilderness. Praise God. Where's this water going to come? And then God took them from no water to what kind of water? Bitter water. And so were they praising God? What were they doing? Starts with a G. And then what did they do next? Quarreled. Read it. If your worship does not make a difference in your life, in the difficulties of life, you have not learned to worship. And that's what I used to tell our worship leaders. You put on a big show and jump and shout and weep and cry, 
But now this difficulty's come in your life. You've not yet learned how to worship. That's largely for God's people. That's what I say to preachers. You can get up and preach it strong and shout and say amen, praise the Lord. This is what God said to me in my 30s. I was going through all kinds of difficulties. And I had not learned how to truly worship. And I'd been a worship leader for 15 years. I'd come to be a great preacher across the Midwest. And I'd been through a car wreck and all these missed blessings. And my wife one day, you think she's sweet. Let me tell you, she can shoot an arrow straight. And that's what I needed. She said, why don't you go back in there? I was 33. And listen to some of that great preaching on victory in Jesus you're always doing. And I said, I'll just do that. And I laid down, pulled the covers over my head. I was in incredible pain. I'd been in a car wreck. I was suffering from migraine headaches and throwing up. I could not work. I was miserable. And I said, oh, God, i got to see what's missing in my life. I'm unstable in all my ways. And praise God. If you're ready for him to meet you today, he'll meet you. And he said, listen, you don't know the first thing about me being your confidence. You have made my blessings your confidence. So when you don't have them, you're a grumbler. Now I'm going to teach you the four how-tos that God taught me. And my life has ever been different. I haven't arrived, as Paul said, but I know, I know when the stuff of life hits me strong and my old flesh wants to grumble, I know what to do. See, write it in, Roman numeral 1a. What is better than any new beginning? It is living out the purpose for that new beginning. Now let me just give you some dates here. See, when the exodus was, and Andy, what date do you teach, buddy? When I looked up in several sources, I got the exodus was 1479 B.C. to everything to 1200 B.C. What do you teach? 1400. Okay, so just put down there. And see, none of us were there, so we don't know, but 1400 B.C. Now put down Jeremiah. I do know about that because sources agree on that. 630 to 580 B.C. So now we're going to jump ahead over 500 years to Jeremiah's time talking about Israel's tragedy. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 22. Let's read it, guys. Here we go. Now, wait, go back there. Go back. We didn't read that first phrase. Okay. You guys got to get with me up there. I just threw you the ball and you dropped it. Okay, stay with me. This is important. Okay, you got the A. You got that. Now we're going to read Jeremiah. Here we go. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, 
and they went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them. Day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Isn't that tragic? This is over 500 years later, and God says, of everything I've done for you, you've gone backward, not forward, and you are worse than your fathers. That were, Where did their fathers die? In the wilderness. Let me tell you something, folks. As a 61-year-old, I can tell you that could be said of most Christians I've known in my life, tragically. And what I'm saying today, if it's been true of your life, that you go more backward than forward. When Jesus started a new work in your life, every promise He wants it to be fulfilled for your joy, to His glory. Every command in His Word, He wants you to experience that fruitfulness of it, that faithfulness of it, that power of it to the glory of Himself. And here are the four how-tos. Roman numeral 2, the Bible C teaches us how to live out what God begins in our lives. And it is His will. Philippians 1, 6, let's say it. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God's at work. We just need to learn how to cooperate. And now, write down, this is how you cooperate with God. Roman numeral 2a, it's called discipline. I'm going to give you four disciplines. Now, in that white space that's right out there by uh, Philippians 2 and 3, and that's where we're going to turn. Open your Bibles to Philippians 2, 3 now. We're going to stay here. I want to give you a biblical definition of discipline. See, when you look up Webster's Dictionary, the word discipline, it gives you seven, eight different definitions. And none of them were what I'm going to talk to you about. The Bible, see, gives the definition, and here's the definition in the Bible of discipline. It is self-control under the control of the Lord. It is self-control. See, in Webster, the synonym for discipline in Webster, they do it all in caps, is the word self-control. Now, when you read about the fruit of the Spirit, when you're living the crucified life in Christ, dead in the sin, alive in Christ, what does Galatians say the fruit of the Spirit is? Say it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is meekness, and and what is self-control? It is when I have resolved in my heart, I put myself every day, I submit it under the authority of God's Word. See, some of you haven't done that yet. And until you do that, you will be unstable in all your ways. And the problem with unstableness, you're blind to yourself. You'll spend your life always blaming someone else or a circumstance why you're unstable. 
See, for everyone that's married or everyone that's going to get married, that is a huge foundational statement you must learn. Or you will fuss and fight with the unstableness with one another your whole life, and it will always be his or her fault. If you're not submitted to the authority of God's Word, if you're not surrendered to the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you've received Christ in your life, if you're not settled in your issue that you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, and you're the Lord's, you will ever be impatient. You will ever be mad at someone, upset at someone. You will ever be in conflict in your life. And you will always think it's because of circumstance instead of you're unstable. James 1.8 says, A man cannot expect anything from God when he's unstable. And see, I'm preaching this because I lived years unstable. And then God taught me laying under that bed sheet for the next month. Okay, you're about to go out and preach it to everyone, but this is how no matter what happens in your life, you're going to live out my purpose for your life. Number one, write it in. It's the discipline. Remember, self-control under His control. It is the discipline, and it has to be the discipline of what, church family? Thank you. Humility. Humility. Let me show you something. Philippians, look at Philippians chapter 2. Get your ink pens ready. Verse 8. And being found in human form, this is speaking of Jesus, He did what? He humbled Himself. Underline that. He humbled Himself. Now what is humbling Himself? We'll read the rest of the phrase. By becoming... Say it, obedient, and what was the extreme? Let me ask you something, church family. When does your obedience stop? When you don't understand it? When you don't see it? When you don't feel it? When you don't like it? See, you'll be unstable as long as you say, well, I don't see it. I don't believe it. I don't agree with it. I know what the Word says. But no, Jesus modeled what true humility is by becoming obedient to the point of death. Why? Because the Father said, we need a lamb. And Jesus in the garden said, Father, if there's any way, I've known from eternity you need a lamb, but now's the time for the lamb, and I don't want the lamb. If there's any way, let this cup pass. But what did he say? Not my will. You will stay unstable as long as you have a way out of obeying God. You will stay unstable as long as you keep a way out of obeying God's Word. Do you have it? Stop Lying to yourself and saying, well, it's my daddy's fault. It's my mama's fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. I've been blamed all my life for people's unstableness. And all I do is preach the Word of God. And you say, well, I don't like your style. I don't like the way you say it. Just live the truth and you will find stability in your life. Because if I die, then you're going to have to find someone else to blame. And it's a wasted life. See, write it in. Humility 
is the discipline of obeying God's Word. See, when you look on down in your Scriptures there, notice in verse 12, in Philippians 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, circle that, always obeyed, the assumption is, if you're God's child, you're going to always obey. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, and underline it, work out your salvation. What is working out your salvation? It's living a life of self-control under the control of the Lord God, under the authority of God's Word, and that's humility. Now, he goes on and he greets some people, Epaphroditus and Timothy, and he thanks them for the gift. And then we go to the second discipline. And it's the discipline, number two, write it in, of the way of the cross. Now look at Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, and underline it and circle it, rejoice in the Lord. Now what's obvious there? It does not say rejoice as Israel only knew how to do. Israel only knew how to rejoice when God did a miracle for them. Right? You will never find the Apostle Paul saying, Rejoice in what the Lord does for us. It will always be rejoice in the Lord, because the Lord never changes. And until you learn to rejoice in the Lord, period, when your circumstances are horrible. This last week in men's Bible study, we looked in Acts 16, and it was midnight, and Paul and Silas had been beat, and their feet and hands are in stocks, and they're in the chains. But what are they doing? They're rejoicing in the Lord, and so they're praising God at midnight. And I said, by the way, what did they do before they praised the Lord God? They prayed. Now, here's where you can evaluate your prayer life. If you're truly humble and going the way of the cross, your praying will always lead to praising. Let me say that again. If you're truly praying to the Lord God and you are humble, and that is obedient to His authority in your life, your praying will always lead to praising. Remember, praising, if it doesn't make a difference in the difficulties of your life, it's just an emotional band experience. That's what I used to tell the praise leaders. You might as well go to the nightclubs and just jump up and down and get everyone happy. You didn't praise the Lord if this difficulty has got you overwhelmed now. You need to praise the Lord so you see the Lord. And that's why every day, what we say last week, elders, we need to pray more for this church family that in this spiritual battle that we're all in, that these strongholds and these lies and these pretensions and these arguments that we're believing about life, that we're living a lie, can be broken in our life. And God will open the eyes of our heart and we'll be free to do what Paul did, rejoice in the Lord. Now, you got that way of the cross? Look at your memory verse. Let's say it together. Jesus said to folks coming to him, if anyone would... Now that's the way of the cross. Now if you're unstable, it's because you haven't seen the way of the cross. You may have sang the way of the cross. You may have taught the way of the cross. For years I'd taught the way of the cross, but I hadn't seen the way of the cross. 
And when I was grumbling so, i take you back when I was 33 and I was so depressed and I was so discouraged because all I could see is all the missed blessings in my life. And I had memorized this verse when I was in the first or second grade. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Stop right there. The father said, little boy, stop right there. What is denying yourself? What, what did Jesus have to do to go to the cross? He had to deny himself. The scripture says earlier in Philippians 2 that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he gave up those rights because the Father's will was to, we need a lamb. We need a blood sacrifice. Once and once for all. And Jesus had to deny himself. That means you have no rights. Why do we all become upset? Because we think our rights have been violated. And that's where we learn to say, students, that's not. If you're ever going to know the joy that when you got saved of experiencing that, of that being fulfilled, of you being fruitful, there's only one way. It's the way of the cross. And you can't go the way of the cross till you first humble yourself. Because proud people will never take the way of the cross. They'd rather just complain and grumble. That's what Israel did, and you will die that way. See, the way of the cross, write it in, is the discipline of Jesus. That is the way of the cross. If you're going to go with Jesus... You must go the way Jesus goes, and that's denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. Holly Brand, I walked in on a meeting, Holly, last Monday, Living Water, and Holly, you know, she jumps up and says, Oh, hi, Pastor, how's your day been? And I want you to know my days as I pray the Lord, I, I plan out my days. I have my list. I know what I need to do each week, and I plan and I prepare. And I'm a doer. I'm an accomplisher. And, during, and I just said to her, you remember what I said? Well, my day was today. I spent my whole day with sinners. And they were all upset. I didn't get one thing done on my list. As soon as I got here, someone called and said, Need to talk to some children down at Living Water. And as I was going down, the father said, Now remember, you've already reckoned yourself dead today, and you're just on my assignment, so every interruption, you just trust for me. So you go down and love on these students, and you have a good grandpa talk, because they don't understand sin, because they keep sinning. And every one of them had prayed to receive Jesus. So we had a wonderful time. And even the teacher told me at the end of the day, My children have never behaved better. Because they have that truth. But what happens with children? They have to be told that night and in the morning. Because we as children forget what we need to remember, right? How many times, parents, do you tell your children, be kind to one another. Don't be selfish. Make up your bed. Turn out the lights. Eat your spinach. We just tell them that over and over and over. Appreciate your blessings. Respect others. Don't lie. We just tell that because they're children. But hopefully they'll learn the way of the cross. And the cross is I humble myself and I live like Jesus lived. Thy will be done in my life. And now go to the third 
discipline. Look at Philippians 3.12. Just write in perseverance. Perseverance. Now again, you can, you can read all of Philippians 2 and 3. But after he says rejoice in the Lord, then he talks about all of his struggles and all of his problems and what he used to be. And he thought he was a Pharisee and, and perfect in every way. But then the grace of God opened the eyes of his heart. And he realized that whatever he had to gain, verse 7, he counted it as dung, as a loss for the sake of Christ. And he comes to that place in verse 10 that the one thing he wants to know in life is he wants to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And he knows that includes in the fellowship of his sufferings. But he gets to verse 12. And this is where we need perseverance. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press, and circle the word press, Press is when you're running that race, and it's a 100-yard dash. And right till you get to the line, there's three guys here, and you're pressing like this and even thrusting your body. Because everything in you, that's perseverance. If you haven't resolved yet that you're going to love Jesus with all your heart, and you're going to press no matter what kind of hell comes up in your life, you're pressing, baby. You'll quit. How do I know you'll quit? Because 90% of Christians ever start the race. They quit because they don't know these how-to's. They quit, and they miss out on everything God purposed for their life. Only one out of 20 preachers last. They quit because they don't know these how-tos. Look at Paul. He says, I'm going to press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here's what you know about persevering. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. If you're discouraged today, if you're disheartened, if you're kind of sidetracked, wake up today. Jesus is with you. Nothing will separate you from his love. He wants you to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to know his abundance. He wants you to shine in a crooked, depraved world. Zoe, because he's with you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. He's with you. That was puny. Amen. Oh, sugars, I know some of you are down. Some of you are defeated. Some of you are discouraged. But let me tell you, this can be the first day of the rest of your life. When you say, okay, I'm going to start today. When I go home, I'm going to find a quiet place even before I eat. And I'm going to humble myself before God. And I'm going to say, God, for the rest of my life, Lord, your word is perfect. It revives me, and I discipline my life to obey your word. Oh, Lord, I know the way of the cross is to discipline my life. I have no rights. I deny myself. You are Lord of all. And, Lord, I'm going to persevere. Write it in there. Perseverance. It's the word hupomeno. If you come in my office, I got a pillow. And of all the words I could have in my office that I need to look at a lot, it's hupomeno. And it's inscribed right there. And it means abiding under pressure. Well, I put it, it's the discipline of staying faithful under pressure. Will there be anything in your life that will ever stop you from experiencing the fulfillment of God in your life? Years ago, I just had one problem after another. I had one difficulty after another. In the, in the next few years, Every one of my little boys, the doctor would say at times, they have cancer, and they're going to die. And I was preaching like everything, and, and all of a sudden, a bunch of old liberals started coming after me. 
50 and 60 years old and lying about me and trying to steal it. And at the same time, I was in the work. And God said, listen, until they kill you, you keep on. And I said, God, if I ever think about quitting on you, you kill me. Because I'm going to run and I'm going to press. Because you know what? This week I got to sit down with a lady. She was in first service and you missed a special blessing. Because I introduced her and there was a party, a celebration. And she's a lady about my age. And when she would even try to tell about her heartaches, she would just go into this deep anguish weeping. And she'd say, Pastor, I can't even tell you about it now. It's so bad. Lostness is horrible. I'd say, that's okay. That's okay. Let me just tell you about Jesus. And only in the mystery of Jesus when he opens the eyes of this person. And this is why it's so important for us to invite our friends to Jesus. About two months ago, Don Kruger told me after a Wednesday night Bible study, now, Pastor, I got this couple coming to church, I think, this Sunday. And they just need encouragement. They're about our age. You meet them. And, and, and this lady then told this other lady, hey, why don't you go to church? And she says, I've given up on God. I've given up on church. And the first Sunday she came, God just fell on her. It's called his mercy and his goodness and kindness. And anyway, on Friday afternoon, she gloriously got saved. You know what? She had six friends in the first service this morning. She got it. Jesus can change your life. And after the service, she was crying and she said, Pastor Phil, Jesus has changed my life. He's changed my life. i got to tell everyone. I said, that sounds like the New Testament. Something is wrong if we're not telling others about Jesus. I'll tell you what's wrong. We're unstable. But today's the first day of our lives, right? For the rest of our lives. We humble ourselves. We go the way of the cross. And we say, God, I surrender my life to you, and you'll be the strength in my life. And I resolve I will never, 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 never quit. And as we close, look at verses 13 to 16 in chapter 3. In verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. See, he's saying again, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived. But underline it. But one thing I do. Now, write in your margin, sugars, that's single-mindedness. Let me tell you, if the devil can't distract you, he'll divert you. If he can't discourage you, he'll defeat you. If he'll get your eyes off of him, off of God in some way, and get them on him, get them on your circumstances, get it on your past, get it on your feelings, and you'll be unstable. Paul says, no. I may get beat up in every town. I may be put in prison. I may even die the sentence of death. But this is the one thing I'm going to do. At different times in my life, God's allowed us to go through great storms. I'm talking the Hunter family. And my little boys at different ages have looked at me and said, Daddy, what are we going to do? Or they've said, Daddy, what are you going to do? When they've seen tears coming down my cheeks and they know something's really bad wrong. Daddy, what are you going to do? 
And I say, honey, we're going to stay faithful to God. We're going to keep sharing Jesus. We're going to keep humbling ourselves before God. And by the way, we're going to play some more basketball. We're going to have fun. And we do. And I'm telling you, there's no life like it. If you're out there still trying to juggle, do I live for God or do I live for myself? Do I, do I let the past control my life or do I get my eyes on Jesus? Or, or what about this or what about that? Put it together. Humble yourself. Take the way of the cross. Persevere. Never, never, never quit when God calls you. Because you'll never find rest if you quit on God. And be single-minded. Write it in. The discipline of staying fixed on the goal. The discipline of staying fixed on the goal. And the goal, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul said, my goal in life is to please my Lord. Now here's your homework for this week. See, what we've entered today, and I decided not to tell you until we got to the end. If you're visiting today and I see some folks I've never seen before, and we welcome you here. But every January, we remember what God did in our heart when we started West County Community Church. And what I've just done is I've given you the four disciplines that allowed us to still be here today. If I had not known these four disciplines, I would have quit many years ago in this church. Because most people never learn these four disciplines and apply them, they're unstable. So they get upset at everything. They quit at anything. And when other people get upset and quit, if you're unstable, you get unstable and get upset about that. And see, as you look at the vision statement, on October 24th, 1993, we agreed, we are surrendered to be a dynamic. Now, actually, on that October 24th, the word was committed. That was the vision statement on October 24th. But after a year, we realized, well, people can be committed to a hundred different things. So we changed that one word in the vision statement from committed to surrender to be a dynamic, and right above dynamic, spirit-filled. And faith, of course, that's humble, the way of the cross, persevering, single-mindedness, living under the authority of God's Word, which is endeavoring to impact the world, that's being salt and light, by experiencing, that's letting God change me, live, model, and communicate authentic faith. And see, that's missions, sharing Christ throughout the world, and then increasingly our intention is to become fully. And those things, that is, wherever you are today, you say, I am going to apply these four disciplines because I want God to work out what he's worked in. And then turn the page. Here's your homework. See, every year when we do this, people say, Pastor. Actually, they don't say it to me. They call Stacy or whoever the church secretary is. And they'll say, why do we have to do this? I joined the church so many years ago, and I don't need to do that. Well, you don't know human behavior. Let me ask you, when you got married, did you tell your spouse, I love you today, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know? I hope not. We're fickle. We're sinful. We fail. We need to ask for forgiveness. So this is why we do this each year. 
See, we understand church membership is much more than a one-time exciting decision. It is a what? It is an active participation of fulfilling that decision. God led us to make when we became a part. So we review, we remember. And in three weeks on February 4th, or actually two weeks, February 4th, and then for the month of February, I will give you opportunity, those of you that are members, to renew your covenant. Now, what I want you to do this week is I want you to read the covenant, the following pages, and I want you to read the values. And just let God speak to you, and I will promise you to the measure that you've understood these four disciplines I've given you this morning, you're living that out. And if you haven't been living it out, have a confession time with the Father. Now, for you that are not members, I invite you to sign up at the Welcome Center today for what's called life development. And I will teach for four weeks from 9 to 10, 15, and you'll learn more what it means to be a member of West County Community Church. So this teaching here is only to renew. The last several years, we gave the opportunity to renew and to become a member, but we had people that signed up to be a member. On the Sunday that we happened to teach, they came and visited, and they've never been back since. See, they got fired up. They got inspired. They got excited. They said, man, I want to be a part of that. But they didn't understand the seriousness of it. And so I just encourage all of you that are not a member to sign up today because we prepare a notebook for each one of you. That's why I need to know who's coming. And I promise you'll love it because it's just looking at the incredible privilege of living the fulfillment that God has for you. Was this good? It was what, Brad? It was better than good. It was, it was what? It was life-changing. Life-changing. It can be. I don't care where your life is today. And I know I've been teaching to some discouraged, defeated people today. But let me tell you the good news. You don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. Did you hear me? You don't have to stay that way. God can set your feet on a rock, Psalm 40, and He can give you a new song to sing in difficulties and heartaches, not just when everybody's around. And He can set your feet on a rock and give you a new song, and it's praise unto God, and many will see your life, and they'll glorify God because they'll know in the midnights of life that guy's praising God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Sweeties, don't let the devil condemn you. And that's what he specializes in. See, when we hear the truth, the devil tries to come in. Remember the parable? Hard ground, rocky grounds, thorny ground. And the devil tries to come in and take that seed away. The devil, the great accuser of the brethren, he tries to come in and accuse you. Don't let him accuse you of your past. Say, devil, I'm going to go humble the way of the cross. And Jesus died for all my sins. I just got to start living that way. And Jesus died that I wouldn't continue to live in sin. He doesn't want forgiveness to be a one-time event. He wants it to be a transformation that the old is gone and the new has come. 
And all this is from God who reconciled me. And so, Lord, today, I thank you that you've opened my eyes. And I'm not going to be deceived by hearing it and going and living like I've been living. This is a life-changing day for me. And you praise God for that and His grace in your life. This is a life-changing day for me. Oh, Father, as you only can work in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit, we thank you. We praise you. For people, Lord, that found themselves on the sidelines today, thank you for picking up and getting them in the race again. Perseverance. Thank you, Lord, for us that have been diverted and distracted and discouraged and defeated, that today we'll see you're, we're more than conquerors in Jesus. And we're going to single-minded love you with all our heart and fix our eyes on you running the race, fixing our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Just thank him in your heart for his grace and goodness and unlimited patience and mercy and perseverance in your life. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Let's stand up. As you stand up, ready to go, just look at your spotlight events. That's the second sheet. Uh, men, the time is growing near. If you haven't got your Manly Night tickets, Brad's going out there now. Purchase those today. You can get a table of six or a table of eight. I've already mentioned life development. I'll let you read the rest. Uh, folks, continue to pray for Joe and Babs Brooks. You notice they're not here again today. Uh, Joe had a good day on Friday. He had surgery last Monday. He had a real bad day yesterday. And he's just real weak, and I told him, stay home. I didn't want, want him catching anything from us. But just remember to pray for Joe. Just encouragement in his life that he's going through great difficulty and that he will learn in this difficulty increasingly to rejoice in the Lord. Amen? I love you all. Love on each other as you go today. God bless you. You're dismissed.